Hi guys, Miss Moulton here, back with Room 4 on the Air, Episode 2. I'm so excited. And I just want to give a big fat thank you to everybody who responded to my Instagram, who responded to my form, and just kind of gave me feedback on what to do with this podcast. So I did get a lot of feedback and I just have so many ideas, at least all the way up until Episode 10, for what I'm going to do for you guys. But the most popular episode right now is Percy Jackson chapter two. So that's what I'm going to do for you guys today. It's a little bit shorter than chapter one. So hopefully this podcast is 20 minutes or less. Um, I miss you so much and please keep messaging me your feedback so that I can keep tweaking and tuning this podcast into exactly what you want to hear. I can't wait. Percy Jackson and the Olympians, Book One, The Lightning Thief, Chapter Two. Three old ladies knit the socks of death. I was used to the occasional weird experience, but usually they were over quickly. This 24-7 hallucination was more than I could handle. For the rest of the school year, the entire campus seemed to be playing some kind of trick on me. The students acted as if they were completely and totally convinced that Mrs. Kerr, a perky blonde woman who I've never seen in my life until she'd gotten on our bus at the end of the field trip, had been our pre-algebra teacher since Christmas. Every so often, I would spring a Mrs. Dodds reference on somebody just to see if I could trip them up, but they would stare at me like I was psycho. It got them so I almost believed them. Mrs. Dodds had never existed. Almost. But Grover couldn't fool me. When I mentioned the name Dodds to him, he would hesitate, then claim she didn't exist, but I knew he was lying. Something was going on. Something had happened at the museum. I didn't have much time to think about it during the days, but at night, visions of Mrs. Dodds with talons and leathery wings would wake me up in a cold sweat. The freak weather continued, which didn't help my mood. One night, a thunderstorm blew out the window in my dorm room, and a few days later, the biggest tornado ever spotted in the Hudson Valley touched down only 50 miles from Yancey Academy. One of the current events we studied in the social studies class was the unusual number of small planes that had gone down in sudden squalls in the Atlantic that year. I started feeling cranky and irritable most of the time. My grades slipped from D's to F's. I got into more fights with Nancy Boba Fett and her friends. I was sent out into the hallway in almost every class. Finally, when our English teacher, Mr. Nickel, asked me for the millionth time why I was too lazy to study for spelling tests, I snapped. I called him an old sot. I wasn't even sure what it meant, but it sounded good. The headmaster sent my mom a letter the following week, making it official. I would not be invited back next year to Yancey Academy. Fine, I told myself, just fine. I was homesick. I wanted to be with my mom in our little apartment on the Upper East Side, even if I had to go to public school and put up with my obnoxious stepfather and his stupid poker parties. And yet, there were things I'd miss at Yancey. The view of the woods at my dorm window, the Hudson River in the distance, the smell of pine trees. I'd miss Grover, who'd been a good friend, even if he was a little strange. I worried how he'd survive next year without me. I'd miss Latin class too. Mr. Brunner's crazy tournament days and his faith that I could do well. As exam week got closer, 
Latin was the only test I studied for. I hadn't forgotten what Mr. Brunner had told me about this subject being life and death for me. I wasn't sure why, but I'd started to believe him. The evening before my final, I got so frustrated I threw the Cambridge Guide to Greek Mythology across my dorm room. Words had started swimming off the page, circling my head, the letters doing 180s as if they were riding skateboards. There was no way I was going to remember the difference between Chiron and Charon, or Polydictes and Polyduces, and conjugating those Latin verbs? Forget it. I paced my room, feeling like ants were crawling around inside my shirt. I remembered Mr. Brunner's serious expression, his thousand-year-old eyes. I will accept only the best from you, Percy Jackson. I took a deep breath. I picked up the mythology book. I'd never asked a teacher for help before. Maybe if I talked to Mr. Brunner, he could give me some pointers? At least I could apologize for the big fat F I was about to score on his exam. I didn't want to leave Yancey Academy with him thinking I hadn't tried. I walked downstairs to the faculty offices. Most of them were dark and empty, but Mr. Brunner's door was ajar, light from his window stretching across half the hallway floor. I was three steps from the door handle when I heard voices inside the office. Mr. Brunner asked a question. A voice that was definitely Grover's voice said, Worried about Percy, sir. I froze. I'm not usually an eavesdropper, but I dare you to try not listening if you hear your best friend talking about you to an adult. I inched closer. Alone this summer, Grover was saying. I mean, a kindly one in the school. Now that we know for sure, and they know too, we would only make matters worse by rushing him, Mr. Brunner said. We need that boy to mature more. But he may not have time. The summer solstice deadline will have to be resolved without him, Grover. Let him enjoy his ignorance while he still can. Sir, he saw her. His imagination, Mr. Brunner insisted. The mist over the students and staff will be enough to convince him of that. Sir, I I can't fail in my duties again. Grover's voice was choked with emotion. You know what that would mean. You haven't failed, Grover, Mr. Brunner said kindly. I should have seen her for what she was. Now let's just worry about keeping Percy alive until next fall. The mythology book dropped out of my hand and hit the floor with a thud. Mr. Brunner went silent, my heart hammering. I picked up the book and backed down the hall. The shadow slid across the lighted glass of Brunner's office door, the shadow of something much taller than my wheelchair-bound teacher, holding something that looked suspiciously like an archer's bow. I opened the nearest door and slipped inside. A few seconds later, I heard a slow clop, clop, clop like muffled wood blocks, then a sound like an animal snuffing right outside my door. A large, dark shape paused in front of the glass, then moved on. A bead of sweat trickled down my neck. Somewhere in the hallway, Mr. Brunner spoke. Nothing, he murmured. My nerves haven't been right since the winter solstice. Mine neither, Grover said, but I could have sworn. Go back to the dorm, Mr. Brunner told him. You've got a long day of exams tomorrow. Don't remind me. The light went out in Mr. Brunner's office. I waited in the dark for what seemed like forever. Finally, I slipped out into the hallway and made my way back up to the dorm. Grover was lying in his bed studying his Latin exam notes like he'd been there all night. Hey, he said bleary-eyed. You gonna be ready for the test? I didn't answer. You look awful, he frowned. 
Is everything okay? Just tired. I turned so he couldn't read my expression and started getting ready for bed. I didn't understand what I'd heard downstairs. I wanted to believe I had imagined the whole thing. But one thing was clear. Grover and Mr. Brunner were talking about me behind my back. They thought I was in some kind of danger. The next afternoon, as I was leaving the three-hour Latin exam, my eyes swimming with all the Greek and Roman names I'd misspelled, Mr. Brunner called me back inside. For a moment, I was worried he found out about my eavesdropping the night before, but that didn't seem to be the problem. Percy, he said, don't be discouraged about leaving Yancey. It's, it's for the best. His tone was kind, but the word still embarrassed me. Even though he was speaking quietly, the other kids finished the test could hear. Nancy Bulbafit smirked at me and made sarcastic little kissing motions with her lips. I mumbled, okay, sir. I mean, Mr. Brunner wheeled his chair back and forth like he wasn't sure what to say. This isn't the right place for you. It was only a matter of time. My eyes stung. Here was my favorite teacher in front of the class telling me I couldn't handle it. After saying he believed in me all year, now he was telling me I was destined to get kicked out? Right. I was trembling. No, no, Mr. Brunner said. Oh, confound it all. What I'm trying to say, you're not normal, Percy. There's nothing to be... Thanks, I blurted. Thanks a lot, sir, for reminding me. Percy? But I was already gone. On the last day of the term, I shoved my clothes into my suitcase. The other guys were joking around, talking about their vacation plans. One of them was going on a hiking trip to Switzerland. Another was cruising the Caribbean for a month. They were juvenile delinquents like me, but they were rich juvenile delinquents. Their daddies were executives or ambassadors or celebrities. I was a nobody from a family of nobodies. They asked me what I'd be doing for the summer and I told them I was going back to the city. What I didn't tell them was that I'd have to get a summer job walking dogs or selling magazine magazine subscriptions and spend my free time worrying about where I'd go to school in the fall. Oh, one of the guys said, that's cool. They went back to their conversation as if I'd never existed. The only person I dreaded saying goodbye to was Grover, but as it turned out, I didn't have to. He'd booked a ticket to Manhattan on the same Greyhound as I had, so there we were, together again, heading to the city. During the whole bus ride, Grover kept glancing nervously down the aisle, watching the other passengers. It occurred to me that he'd always acted nervous and fidgety when we left Yancey, as if he expected something bad to happen. Before, I'd always assumed he was worried about getting teased, but there was nobody to to tease him on the Greyhound. Finally, I couldn't stand it anymore. I said, looking for kindly ones? Grover nearly jumped out of his seat. Well, what do you mean? I confessed about eavesdropping on him and Mr. Brunner the night before the exam. Grover's eye twitched. How much did you hear? Oh, not much. What's the summer solstice deadline? He winced. Look, Percy, I was just worried for you. See, I mean, hallucinating about demon math teachers? Grover. And I was telling Mr. Brunner that maybe you were overstressed or something because there was no such person as Mrs. Dodds and... Grover, you're a really, really bad liar. His ears turned pink. From his shirt pocket, he fished out a grubby business card. Just take this, okay? In case you need me this summer. The card was in fancy script, which was murder on my dyslexic eyes, but I finally made out something like Grover Underwood, Keeper, Half-Blood Hill, 
Long Island, New York, 800-009-0009. What? Half? Don't say it out loud, he yelped. That's my, um, summer address. My heart sank. Grover had a summer home. I'd never considered that his family might be as rich as the others at Yancey. Okay, I said glumly. So, like, if I want to come visit your mansion. He nodded. Or, or, or if you need me. Why would I need you? It came out harsher than I meant it to. Grover blushed right down to his Adam's apple. Look, Percy, the truth is I, I kind of have to protect you. I stared at him. All year long, I'd gotten in fights, keeping bullies away from him. I'd lost sleep worrying that he'd get beaten up next year without me. And here he was, acting like he was the one who defended me? Grover, I said. What exactly are you protecting me from? There was a huge grinding noise under our feet. Black smoke poured from the dashboard and the whole bus filled with a smell like rotten eggs. The driver cursed and limped the Greyhound over to the side of the road. After a few minutes clinking around in the engine compartment, the driver announced that we'd all have to get off. Grover and I filed outside with everybody else. We were on a stretch of country road, no place you'd notice if you didn't break down there. On our side of the highway was nothing but maple trees and litter from passing cars. On the other side, across four lanes of asphalt, shimmering with afternoon heat, was an old-fashioned fruit stand. The stuff on sale looked really good. Heaping boxes of blood-red cherries and apples, walnuts and apricots, jugs of cider and a clawfoot tub full of ice. There were no customers, just three old ladies sitting in rocking chairs in the shade of a maple tree knitting the biggest pair of socks I'd ever seen. I mean, these socks were the size of sweaters, but they were clearly socks. The lady on the right knitted one of them. The lady on the left knitted the other. The lady in the middle held an enormous basket of electric blue yarn. All three women looked ancient, with pale faces wrinkled like fruit leather, silver hair tied back in white bandanas, bony arms sticking out of the bleached cotton dresses. The weirdest thing was, they seemed to be looking right at me. I looked over at Grover to say something about this and saw that the blood had trained from his face. His nose was twitching. Grover, I said, hey man, tell me they're not looking at you. They are, aren't they? Yeah, weird, huh? You think those socks would fit me? Not funny, Percy, not funny at all. The old lady in the middle took out a huge pair of scissors, gold and silver long-bladed like shears. I heard Grover catch his breath. We're getting on the bus, he told me. Come on. What? I said. It's a thousand degrees in there. Come on! He pried open the door and climbed inside, but I stayed back. Across the road, the old ladies were still watching me. The middle one cut the yarn, and I swear I could hear that snip across four lanes of traffic. Her two friends balled up the electric blue socks, leaving me wondering who they could possibly be for. Sasquatch or Godzilla? At the rear of the bus, the driver wrenched a big chunk of smoking metal out of the engine compartment. The bus shuddered and the engine roared back to life. The passengers cheered. Darn right, yelled the driver. He slapped the bus with his hat. Everybody back on board. Once we got going, I started feeling feverish as if I'd caught the flu. Grover didn't look much better. He was shivering and his teeth were chattering. Grover? Yeah? What are you not telling me? He dabbed his forehead with his shirt sleeve. Percy, what did you see back there at the fruit stand? 
You mean the old ladies? What was it about them, man? They're not like Mrs. Dodds, are they? His expression was hard to read, but I got the feeling that the fruit stand ladies were something much, much worse than Mrs. Dodds. He said, just tell me what you saw. The middle one took out her scissors and she cut the yarn. He closed his eyes and made a gesture with his fingers that might have been crossing himself, but it wasn't. It was something else, something almost older. He said, you saw her snip the cord. Yeah, so? But even as I said it, I knew it was a big deal. This is not happening, Grover mumbled. He started chewing at his thumb. I don't want this to be like the last time. What last time? Always sixth grade. They never get past sixth. Grover, I said because he was really starting to scare me. What are you talking about? Let me walk you home from the bus station. Promise me. This seemed like a strange request to me, but I promised he could. Is this like a superstition or something? I asked. No answer. Grover, that snipping of the yarn, does, does that mean somebody's gonna die? He looked at me mournfully, like he was already picking the kind of flowers I'd like best on my coffin. Alright guys, I hope that you enjoyed chapter 2. This book is definitely getting more and more suspenseful. I think it would be so much fun for our suspense unit um, at the beginning of the school year. But for right now, I want to go ahead and end this podcast with a little bit of text analysis. So a lot of times when when we have you guys make journals, when we're reading a book, we call them dialectical journals. And we study text-to-self connections text-to-text connections, and text-to-world connections. So when I read, I like to have conversations with other people. So if you want to go ahead and tune out now, that's fine. You're just here for the read. But if you want to listen to a little bit of analysis and spark a conversation, great. So a text-to-self connection is when you're reading a book and you relate something to yourself. So personally, if you guys want to know a little bit about me, um, I really related to this book when Percy kept talking about how he kept switching schools and he just couldn't stay in his school. I don't know if you guys knew this about me or not, but I went to five elementary schools. And let me tell you guys, I am a creature of habit. I do not like to move. I do not make friends easily. Um, And I get really attached to my teachers like they're my parents. And so it just, uh, I was in tears all of my elementary school years because I just could not stay in one school. But by the time I got to middle school and high school, I knew everybody. So that was so awesome only downside (laughs) they still didn't know me but it's okay a second text to self connection i made was that percy mentions the weird weather and how no one else seemed to notice however they did learn about the increase in small plane crashes because of the weather when i read small plane crashes you guys my skin crawled i live right by a small airport where small planes come and go all day long and i have to listen to them and it freaks me out some of you may know why right now. Well, it's because two or three years ago, a small, cl- a small plane crashed and blew up in my backyard. And it was horrifying. It was the worst, but we were super fortunate. Um, I just have a huge fear. Even reading the word small plane on the page freaks me out, you guys. Okay, but my third and last self um, text-to-self connection. At the end of the chapter, Percy knows that Grover is extremely wise and is keeping possible life-threatening secrets from him. I don't know about you guys, 
But when somebody tells me they have to give me bad news or it seems like they're hiding something from me, I freak out. I am a busybody and I need to know everything. How do you guys feel when people are keeping secrets? Are you okay with it? Do you get nervous when people seem like they might have news for you? All right, and then I don't have any text-to-world connections for this chapter, but I do have a text-to-text connection. Text-to-text is when you're reading one book and you relate it to another book or article or poem or even a song. So one big thing in my mind, is Percy Jackson the Harry Potter for your generation? Or is it just different? Was there a Harry Potter for the generation before Harry Potter was written? So Lord of the Rings, which was written first? What do you guys think? Ultimately, what do you like better, Harry Potter or Percy Jackson? And finally, a brand new thing I'm going to be introducing. Um, I'm going to end the episode with a would you rather. So I asked you guys a lot of questions just now, and I would love for you to respond to them. I might even give extra credit if you reply to them at my Instagram, at Miss underscore Molten, or even on our team's feedback channel. Um, And so for right now, here's the final question I'm going to ask that I will give you extra credit for answering. Would you rather, hang on, I lost it. Would you rather be a millionaire or live in the world of Harry Potter? All right, guys, I'm going to go ahead and end this episode now. Thank you so much for listening. Be sure to come back and vote on what you want to hear for episode three, whether it's another chapter of Percy Jackson, whether it's a different book, or whether it's an entirely different episode altogether. And if you guys want to ask me any questions about myself or about life or topics you want to know more about, just ask away on Instagram or on Teams, and I will answer them here at the end of the episode. Thank you so much for listening. I miss you guys.